This week on Life and Faith. Well, uh, it took nine years, partly because I'm very stubborn, uh, partly because, um, you know, there are consequences to changing your worldview. And by the way, I don't care what, uh, Dr. Moore, I don't care what view you have, whether it's an atheistic view or a, or a theistic view of some kind. When you change your worldview, you're changing who you are. Because a worldview is something that begins to take root in your identity, as opposed to an opinion. An opinion you can change, you know, like you change a shirt. But a worldview is something like your skin color. It's part of who you are. And so changing your worldview is shockingly hard to do. We have entered into an amusing ourselves to death moment in history. It doesn't make sense to me. If there is God, God's supposed to be free. I was 100% sure that I was sacrificing on the altar of truth my only chance for happiness in this world. Miracles don't necessarily change anybody's mind. They just get their attention. And so I had to run with my child on my back. The Isa army coming behind us. I said, gee, Uncle George, this is luxurious for a communist. <laughs> Sonny said nothing's too good for the worker, nothing. This is Life and Faith from CPX. I'm Simon Smart. And I'm Natasha Moore. Uh, it's been a big writing year for the CPX team. There are new books out from Tim Costello on compassion and you, Natasha, on pessimism. And also our colleague, Richard Schumach's latest book was published recently. It's called Jesus Through Muslim Eyes. Richard's a philosopher and a scholar of Islamic thought. Uh, anyone who's heard him speak or read his previous book, The Wisdom of Islam and the Foolishness of Christianity, will know that he's one of those people who can explain very abstract ideas in very accessible, street-level ways. It is not a common gift. No, it isn't, and he certainly hasn't. Now, it's been a while since we've had Richard on the podcast, so we thought it was about time. And in this episode, Natasha also speaks to Abdu Murray who was a devout Muslim and who now spends his time trying to convince people that Christianity makes the best sense of things. We wanted to hear from him how Jesus does look through Muslim eyes from someone who's lived on both sides of that fence. Richard's story with Islam is a bit different. Now, you wouldn't perhaps expect a country boy from near Canberra to end up on the path he has, studying and writing about Muslim thought. Yeah, it sort of happened by accident, really. I wasn't particularly interested in Islam, and I'm still not really interested in Islam itself that much, so much as um, I ended up working and living amongst Muslims for a long time, many years, refugee community in Melbourne. And um, I worked with them, and I played with them, and I had made friends with them. I just enjoyed being in that community, but I worked out that uh, Christians and Muslims tended to, when they talked about faith, um, the conversations were just, they just seemed to miss the mark. People were taught past each other. Questions were being asked that didn't compute. Answers were being given to questions that weren't being asked. Uh, so uh, really my sort of study into Islam, it's really into the into the Muslim mindset and trying to work out sort of what makes Muslims tick. How can we talk meaningfully and deeply and, um, and lovingly about faith? Right. Now, many people might think that Muslims don't have that much to say about Jesus, but they might get a surprise, right? Yeah, if you run into any, um, any Muslim, certainly any uh, serious Muslim, any Muslim who takes their faith seriously, then um, they'll have a great, uh, they'll say they love Jesus, there'll be a devotion to Jesus. <laughs> um, I often tell the story about running into a friend of mine, a young 
uh, young Muslim guy in Melbourne outside the gym, and he had a T-shirt on and huge letters across the front said, I love Jesus. And then on the back it said, because I am a Muslim, uh, and so was he. Um, he being Jesus, so was Jesus. Right. But um, So yeah, Jesus is in Islam. Uh, there's a very Islamic understanding of who he is. Um, but as Jesus is one of their prophets, Muslims are supposed to revere and to honor all their prophets. And so, yeah, every Muslim will say, yeah, Jesus is one of our guys and we love him. Yeah, okay. Well, let's, let's look at that for a moment. What, what else does, what does Islam essentially say about Jesus? Yeah. And so here's the other thing too. I, the, so with my friend Abdi, I then asked him, what do you love about Jesus? What is it that you find attractive? And he said, well, it was just a free T-shirt at the mosque, <laughs> um, which is true, but it's also instructive because if you ask Muslims the details, um, actually Jesus in Islam is a very thin sort of character. Um, he's referred to a lot, and the Quran mentions him 25 times, but it's not that it, you don't get to know him so much. He, it's like a reference. Oh, yeah, there was this other guy, and he was saying something really similar. Um, there's a few things about Jesus that are particularly interest, interesting to uh, Islam. So th- his birth, his miraculous birth was seen as important, um, and then his death. So you get the bit about the beginning and the end. Um, Mary is very revered also in Islam. In fact, one of the chapters of the Quran is named after Mary. Um, and then at the other end, you get Jesus' death, and there's quite a bit of interest r- around that, although that's mainly sort of polemical. It's trying to say, well, he Jesus did not die. In fact, he didn't die at all. He went straight to heaven, but also he definitely didn't die for sins in the way that Christians talk about. Um, but there's not much else really. It's um, He's referred to, but he's, you certainly don't get to know Jesus well in, in the Quran. Yeah, so in that sense, in your interaction with Muslim people, is there a way of describing how they tend to feel about him, like the place that he holds in their lives? What's, what is that? Yeah, for most Muslims, again, it's just, uh, yeah, he's one of our guys. So it's not an active presence or uh, um, they don't sort of follow his teaching generally. They don't know much about the details of his life or um, they, they very few will have read the Gospels, for example, to have that sort of fleshed out sense. Um, that's the general sense, although there are, uh, what interestingly, in some parts of the Muslim world, uh, they developed uh, a series, of, it was called, it's called the Kisas al-Anbiya, it's like the, the sayings of the prophets, and there grew a sort of a, a devotion to Jesus being, not in a worship sense, but in his, uh, as they sort of did encounter the Gospels over time and saw Jesus' life, they were admired him as, as an ascetic, as someone who sort of laid aside att- attachment to the world, who didn't get married, who lived a life in poverty, who um, was a prayerful man, who was... Um, a servant uh, who uh, he developed followings. So they found that really impressive as a model for what it is to be a religious person. But again, certainly didn't worship him. He was just admired as an ascetic preacher. Richard, you set out in the book, you put it this way, you want to meet the Muslim Jesus on his terms. Where do you go to meet him? Yeah, well, um, as I mentioned earlier, I went straight to the Quran. So in Islam, that's generally the first place you go to um, encounter a, a Muslim take on things. But um, And certainly that's where most Muslims get their core understandings about Jesus is from what the Quran says um, and denies. 
But from there, uh, after, after the Quran, there was, there's the Muslim tradition. So you have the sayings of Muhammad. Muhammad said many other things about Jesus or some other things about Jesus that weren't in the Quran. Uh, Muslim, early Muslim historians, there's a guy named Al-Tabri, who's the sort of magisterial, massive uh, history, early history. Um, and he mentions quite a bit about Christianity and about Jesus. Uh, then you've got the sort of classical scholars, the commentators and the, and the philosophers, and they mentioned things in their commentaries on the Quran. Uh, and then, as I said, you had this later material that was a development, sort of devotional type material that referenced Jesus as a good model for what it is to be a, a religious person. And so, so I really just walked through that, that history of um, Muslims talking about, what, about Jesus and how they thought about him. And, I mean, not to give spoilers for your book, but after meeting the Muslim Jesus, um, I understand that you prefer the Christian version. Um, What do you think is kind of unsatisfying or, um, to you, inadequate about the Muslim version? In the book, what I do is I walk through, like I say, that that sort of history of Islam talking about Jesus, and then I sort of try and evaluate that, and I, I pick three sort of themes. The first one is... Um, is the Jesus of Islam the Jesus of history? And then is he a Jesus that makes sense? Does he make sense philosophically and even theologically? Even within Islam, does he seem to fit in Islam properly? And then the last one is, is this a person worth following? And that's more the, um, the personal, more the devotional. And certainly for me, um, the Jesus of Islam doesn't add up in any of those categories. The interesting thing, and perhaps the surprising thing, is that um, I don't even think he fits in Islam. That's really strange. The Muslim Jesus doesn't fit in Islam. Obviously, the Christian Jesus doesn't, but the Muslim Jesus, he just seems like a stranger. He seems to be floating in and out, but there's so many things about him that the Quran says that don't quite fit. So, for example, he's called the Messiah, but there doesn't seem to be any need or understanding of a Messiah um, in Islam. That's just one example. He's called other things too, other really unique things. He's virgin born. Why? That doesn't seem to fit anything in Islam. Um, why would a prophet need to be virgin born? It fits really beautifully in the Christian story, but it doesn't seem to fit into Islam. So he seems more like a stranger. So Richard, I guess the flip side of some of that, what does Christianity say about Jesus that's not there in Islam? What's the, what's the core or key difference? Yeah, well, the interesting thing is uh, if you, the Jesus of Islam, Christians can agree with nearly everything about that because um, Islam says almost nothing new about Jesus. All all Islam really does is deny his death on the cross uh, and deny his divinity. Um, And this is a really interesting thing because they're the two most critical things for Christianity, first to be true, but also... uh, they're the most critical things. That, that's why Jesus turned up. Like he turned up. One of the names of Jesus in, in, the, in the Gospels is Emmanuel, God with us. And so uh, the most, not just, not just the most important thing, it's the most beautiful thing about the Christian Jesus is that um, he turns up saying, um, I am God visiting. And not only that, I've come to redeem and to because uh, I love you and care for you and want to fix things up. Like that, that's the, the heart of Christianity. And they're the two things that are critically missing from the Jesus of Islam. Uh, 
someone who has personal experience of looking at Jesus through Muslim eyes and through Christian eyes is Abdu Murray. Abdu lives in Detroit. He's a lawyer and a speaker and author. When I asked him whether Jesus was important to him when he was a Muslim, his answer was yes and no. A lot of folks have no idea what Muslims actually believe, but the reality is, is that Muslims will uh, tell you that they love and revere Jesus um, as a prophet who was virgin born, born of a virgin named Maryam or Mary, uh, that he performed miracles even as a child, in fact, spoke from the cradle uh, when he was born uh, as a sign of his um, having been uh, blessed by God to be a messenger and a prophet of his. So the, the Quran, the holy book of the Muslims, um, features Jesus prominently. In fact, Jesus is spoken about as much or more than any other prophet within the, um, uh, the pages of the Quran um, and is named far more often than any other, including and especially Muhammad, uh, who's only named or referenced directly a few times, um, although he's indirectly referenced quite a bit. My point is, is that Jesus is considered um, reverential in Islam. However, um, he's sort of a, in a side way. It's weird because a Muslim will talk to a Christian and talk about how prominent Jesus is in their understanding of their faith. But the reality is in the everyday lived experience of Muslims who are actually dedicated to their faith and who actually practice their faith, and people don't realize this either, being Muslim is as cultural to Muslims as being a Christian can be to other Christians. Um, it doesn't have to be a matter of actual devotion uh, as much as a matter of identity. Um, but for those Muslims who do take their faith quite seriously, um, they will tell you Jesus is important to them. But the lived experience is that Jesus is nowhere near as important as Muhammad is. Uh, because Muhammad features as the last prophet. He's also the Arab prophet. He's also the pinnacle prophet of Islam who, according to Muslims, brought a book that cannot be changed. Whereas Jesus's book or his message in the Injil or the gospel was changed, Muhammad's was not. So what were your impressions then of the Christian version of Jesus? Mm, that's a great question. And uh, I think my, my, so my, my impressions then were well-meaning and wrong-headed. That's how I would have put it, is that in a um, Christians had an overzealous devotion to Jesus that developed into a legendary status where Jesus was honored and was a prophet in what I believed was original Christianity. See, I believed as a Muslim that original Christianity was remarkably similar to Islam. In fact, the Quran references that uh, the disciples of Jesus had submitted themselves to God's will in Islam. Uh, so um, it was the, the church and history that resulted in a changing of the way Christians viewed who Jesus was uh, by deifying him. And so my understanding was it was well-meaning but wrong-headed, and it bordered on blasphemy. In fact, there, oftentimes when Christians would really start to worship Jesus as God, I, th I thought it was blasphemous. Um, and though it was blasphemy and bordered on being an unforgivable sin, if Christians would repent of this, uh, this blasphemy and turn away uh, from this deification of Jesus and return to monotheism, um, as opposed to what I, what I consider to be a confused tritheism, which is the Trinity, um, <laughs> I don't think that now. I think the Trinity is, is, is true and valid, um, having come from my own Muslim background and not fully understood it and seeing its beauty and power. Um, and the, the, the deity of Christ. 
So was the Christian view kind of you found that like intellectually offensive or like did it upset you? Uh, so to me, a lot of, it's just a lot of Muslims, a lot of Muslims get upset by it, but see, I, I, I grew up uh, around a lot of Christians and, um, at least people who were nominally Christian. Um, but I also grew up a lot among a lot of Muslims. So a lot of Muslims took it in, in my context, didn't take it as deeply offensive, um, and hurtful to me as much as pitiable that, that Christians felt this way. Uh, sometimes we made fun of it. Sometimes we thought, you know, those foolish Christians for how could they believe that a person who um, is trapped in a human body that needs to walk to get where it needs to go to and sweats and then eats and then eventually dies at the hands of, a crea of the creation he created? How could this be the um, incarnation of God, the, the Almighty? And so we would have a condescending view of it. And then engagement in conversation with Christians was um, an intellectual sort of response and saying, you can't believe this kind of thing. But ultimately there was, in me, in me personally, because I was actually the evangelist for Islam. Um, uh, me personally, there was a sadness. Uh, I thought it was sad that Christians believed this and they needed to come to a, a knowledge of the truth. Um, it's so interesting that I feel exactly the opposite way now. Yeah. Um, that I'm, I think it's a glorious truth that Jesus, that God would condescend to engage with humanity in this way. So how did that change occur? Well, uh, yeah, if over it took, it took nine years, um, uh, partly because I'm very stubborn, uh, partly because, um, you know, there are consequences to changing your worldview. And by the way, I don't care what, uh, Dr. Moore, I don't care what view you have, whether it's an atheistic view or a, or a theistic view of some kind. When you change your worldview, you're changing who you are because a worldview is something that begins to take root in your identity as, as opposed to an opinion. An opinion you can change, you know, like you change a shirt. Um, but a worldview is something like your skin color. It is, it's who you, it's part of who you are. And so changing your worldview is shockingly hard to do. Um, and so I didn't want to do that, which is why it took nine years. But I put it this way before I get into the, the, the how it actually happened is it didn't take nine years because the answers were hard to find. They were not hard to find. It took nine years because the answers were hard to accept um, and uh, embrace as, um, as true in my life. Abdu's nine-year journey traveled deeply into history and theology and philosophy. And when he came out the other side, Jesus looked very different to him. You know, Jesus is um, at once the object of my devotion, the object of my affection, and the object of my respect. Um, and this is important, I think, for Muslims to hear, is that um, we have an affinity and affection for the various prophets and all these kind of things. But um, Jesus is the culmination of all that's perfect and pure. Uh, and he would naturally be so. But he's also savior. He's not just example to follow. He's savior to 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 devote your life to, but also to adore. Um, you know, the Imam Ali uh, once uh, said, who um, features, by the way, very prominently in especially Shia Muslim circles. Um, Imam Ali was um, a leader of the Muslims. He was uh, in the early days. He was Muhammad's son-in-law and cousin, and he was the first male believer. Uh, uh, in Islam, according to Shia uh, theology. Well, he wrote um, a sermon, uh, and it's, um, it says this. It said this, this is the very boiled-down version of it. He says, among the believers, there are three. There are those who worship God, 
to attain his heaven, that is the worship of the merchant. There are those who worship God to avoid his hell, that is the worship of the slave. But there are those who worship God out of gratitude, that is the worship of the free and the noble. Now, what's interesting is this. If Jesus is just your example and he just warns you, here are the laws you must follow so that you can please God and eventually attain heaven. You're either a merchant or you're a slave. You're trying to attain heaven or avoid hell. But if you have already gotten heaven because of what Jesus has done for you, then you can worship in gratitude and your worship can be free and noble. So Jesus isn't just the God who I respect and revere and have that healthy, holy fear of, but he's also the God who I can cling to as the one who frees me to a free and noble worship based on gratitude, not based on gain nor based on fear, because I've already gained that heaven and I've already avoided that hell because of what Jesus has done. And that's who he is to me. Wow. One last question. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there are things that you see more clearly about Jesus as a former Muslim, um, maybe things that other Christians are less likely to see or to grasp about him? Wow. The answer is definitely yes. And um, uh, I know that um, friends of mine who, uh, who have studied this can, can vouch for this as well. You know, I come from a Middle Eastern background. My, my background is Lebanese and uh, I saw some things even before I became a Christian, by the way, um, in the Bible that stood out to me in Jesus's Easternness. I think sometimes we, we, we paint Jesus with a Western brush um, and, and surely there are elements of that. Jesus transcends culture. He doesn't defy culture. He transcends culture. So he's Eastern, but he's also had a profound influence on the West. He understands the Western individualism the importance of Western individualism, but he also has an affinity for and a respect for Eastern collectivism. And in the East, uh, Middle Easterners and Easterners understand an honor-shame mentality that we seek honor for ourselves so that we can honor our parents and we can honor our community and we can honor our, our, our nation included. And, um, but we also try to avoid shame personally, but also so that we can avoid shaming our parents and shaming our families and shaming our community. So individualism is important, but it's not as important as the effect our beliefs and our actions have on the collective. Jesus understands that, and he understands the, West, the, 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 the Eastern need, and including in a growing need within the West, to avoid shame and have honor bestowed. And so the gospel actually translates that way. Uh, the parable of uh, the, the vineyard owner, uh, to me, found in Matthew 20, is so powerful and rich from an Eastern perspective. There you have Jesus telling a parable where the, the proxy for God in the parable is this owner of a vineyard. He goes and hires day laborers for, uh, for work, and he pays the first guys who are waiting in the morning for work. He pays the first people he hires a denarius for a full day's labor. And then he goes back a second, a third, and a fourth time hiring people who are still waiting for some reason for work that morning to work in his field. And he hires the people at the very last hour that work is available. And he pays them the same amount of money he pays the guys who worked all day. And you're thinking, this is economically unfair. But reality is this, is that the day laborers in the morning, all of whom were there, they waited around for work and the master only hired a few. 
And then it came back a second, a third, and a fourth time. The reality is, back then and even today, day laborers don't get hired in the middle of the day. They don't get hired at the end of the day. What were those men doing waiting there for work is that they were holding out hope that someone would honor them with a day's worth of work so they wouldn't have to go home to their families in shame saying, I didn't earn something for you today. And God, who is the master of the vineyard, comes to them and says, I'll give you work. I will credit your faith that I would honor you as if it was work itself, which is why you get the full day's wage, because you waited in hope and in faith. In a shame and honor system, God bestows honor to those who are holding out hope that someone will remove their shame. And that's one example of the way Jesus speaks to an honor-shame Eastern culture in a way that translates East and West at the same time. This is Life and Faith, and that was Abdu Murray explaining how Jesus looked to him through Muslim eyes and subsequently through Christian eyes. And that's the title of Richard Schumach's new book, Jesus Through Muslim Eyes. Natasha and I are speaking with Richard about his quest to figure out the Muslim Jesus. And a relevant question here was, well, who is this book for? Well, I've mainly written this book, or ho- hopefully Muslims will be the audience for this book. I've written it, um, like I said, I'm keen on Muslims and Christians discussing faith um, generously and warmly and, and lovingly. And so this is, for me, a contribution to a discussion about Jesus and um, I've written it for um, with a Muslim audience in mind, but obviously, um, I'm I'm aware that there'll be lots of Christians who are keen to talk about Jesus with Muslims, and so hopefully it'll be a real uh, assistance for people like that, or even just a model for how people could go about it. Well, one of the things I've often enjoyed about your work and talks and things is that it feels like to me they're helpful for people who aren't Christian or Muslim. Uh, is that true of this book? Do you think? seems to me that if if the things that Jesus claimed about himself and the, the way he's talked about in the Bible is true, so if Jesus really is divine, if Jesus really did come um, to express God's love and to express God's redemption, um, if Jesus really is the truth as he speaks about, then that's the most critical question um, that anyone can ask. That's the most critical question of history. Um, if it's not true, if he was making it up, um, if we've got it wrong about him, then we can dismiss it, dismiss him and not care about him. But if it's critical, then it's, if it's true, then it's critical for Muslims and for Christians and for everybody else. So yeah, again, I'd like to hope that my book could maybe um, help answer the question about who Jesus is, but um, coming at it from a Muslim take might just open new possibilities, new ways of imagining it, new angles for thinking through it. So yeah, I hope so. Richard, let's talk about your history with Jesus. Has he meant different things to you at different times in your life? Yes. <laughs> he, um, so I was brought up in a sort of a Christian-y environment. I'd heard about Jesus, but it was very, uh, I had a very domesticated um, Jesus. It was a Christmas and Easter Jesus. Um, in my imagination as a kid, it was... Um, Christmas carols and candle carols by candlelights was with that was Christianity so it was nice songs and it was candles and um 
and then it was Easter too, and Easter was Easter eggs, and it was it was childish, and it was sort of, but it was also very tame and lame and innocent. And there was when I imagined Jesus being born, he was in a shed because an Australian shed with sheep and with sheep troughs and cows and sheep dogs. That was my imagination, and um, it wasn't until I went to university that I first encountered the Bible and and also really encountered Jesus in a personal way. Uh, where I can say I met him. It was a spiritual experience, almost a physical experience of um, encountering Jesus by his spirit. And yeah, it blew me away. It changed my understanding of what the world was about and who God was. Um, and I went from having some childish imagination about some guy in a book to um, a personal encounter with a, with a real being uh, that just transformed my life. And I've still kept, I've hung around with that guy ever since. I mean, we're talking here about, you know, the Muslim Jesus, the Christian Jesus, your Jesus, my Jesus. Like it starts to, um, it, it can sound these sorts of conversations almost a bit like the children's books, you know, where it's like, that's not my dragon. His scales are too spiky or that's not my mermaid. That's my teddy bear. His fur is so soft. Um, in what sense are we not just kind of picking the Jesus we like? How confident can you be that you're arriving at something like the real Jesus? Well, the thing about Jesus is if he was an idea or if he was a philosophy or if he was a character in a book, then, yeah, we could all have opinions about him. Um, but if Jesus is a real person, particularly if he's a real live person today that's interacting with the world, uh, then we really don't get to pick and choose what he's like. Um, he is real. Same with the dragon, by the way. A dragon in a book might be safe, but if you run into a crocodile, uh, I've been in the Northern Territory a bit, you run into a crocodile, you don't get to decide what colour the scales are. You don't get to decide whether it's friendly or angry or old or gentle. Um, the crocodile decides that. Um, and it's a bit like that with Jesus. If Jesus is a real person and not just an idea, then you just have to meet the person on their own terms, taking them as they come. Um, so, yeah, we don't just get to decide for ourselves. Um, and that's a critical question about Jesus. Uh, and that's also one of the really interesting distinctives between the Muslim Jesus and the Christian Jesus. In the Christian, in the Islamic Jesus, you never really meet, feel like you meet the person. You just meet this reference to a character in the background. But as you walk through the Gospels, there's just this full, rich picture of this guy who is, um, he's loving and he's, um, but he's not soft and he's healing and redeeming, but he also is sort of, intimidating is not quite the right word, but he's awesome to hang around um, because he doesn't just sort of leave you, uh, leave you untouched. He moves you and challenges you and stretches you in really amazing ways. And I think that's the thing. There's this person that leaps out of the pages. And then when you encounter him, um, in a spiritual way as well, um, then that's a, that's critical. It's beautiful. So, Richard, have any Muslim people read the book yet? And if so, how, how did they receive it? Yes, Muslims have read the book. Uh, in fact, one of the endorsers of the book that's on the cover is a friend of mine who is a, um, a Muslim uh, theology lecturer at uh, the University of Oxford, um, he read it and he really loved it and obviously endorsed it. And, and I think 
the, I've also had a number of former Muslims who've read the book. And so the two things I want to say about that, the first thing is that I think it gives a fair account of the Muslim Jesus and my Muslim friends would agree with that. And so I like that. I don't think I sort of misrepresented the, the Jesus of Islam. But but more important than that, the, my Muslim friends, uh, he he just loves the tone. He loves the shape of the conversations, loves that we can, can have a, a, a respectful um, energetic, passionate discussion about Jesus, and and it's possible to do that without sort of degenerating into just taking pot shots or taking fights. In fact, he's really keen for us to to every time I go to Oxford, we arrange sort of public conversations in the classes there, and the students there love it. So I'd like to think it, um, yeah, that's a sign that Muslims and Christians can talk profitably about Jesus. This has been Life and Faith with me, Simon Smart, and Natasha Moore. A big thanks to Abdu Murray and Richard Schumach. Richard's recent book, again, is Jesus Through Muslim Eyes. Head to Amazon or to Kurong to pick up a copy for yourself or for a friend. Thanks also to our producer, Anthea Godsmark. And if you know someone who might enjoy this or other episodes of Life and Faith, please do let them know. Next week. The Second World War was a, an, a huge event which affected the whole world. You know, it's not only the people who lived through it who were affected by it. There are all sorts of studies into generational trauma, which I could go into, uh, where the, the sort of children and grandchildren of people who suffered traumas like the Holocaust um, also sort of show all kinds of symptoms themselves of that trauma. But I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about countries that weren't even involved in the war are still affected by it. This is a sort of global trauma. And on, on a global level, we're still processing that trauma. We will continue processing it. You know, you, these things don't go away. They sort of soften a bit in our memory, maybe. But, but they will always be there.